0: Amen. What a special day this is, huh? So good to see each of you here as we celebrate the risen Christ. This is the Lord's Day, and it's a special Lord's Day. It's the day when up from the grave He arose. Amen. We celebrate that together, don't we? Amen. Is that worth a shout unto the Lord? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We serve a great God. Amen. For my Hispanic brothers and sisters, gloria Dios. Amen. All right. I, I, I'm so excited just to be here with you and to worship, and, and uh, especially on this day. You know, uh, Resurrection Day is every day, though, isn't it? It shouldn't just be one day of a year. It, it's every day. The truth of God's Word doesn't only work on certain days. It's not like a magic potion. It's, it's alive every day in us, and so today we, we just apply the truth to our lives, but let's do it tomorrow and the next day after as well, and I think this passage that Helen read for us really helps us understand and instructs us the importance of making Resurrection Day every day. So let's look at verse 1. We're going to do today what we do every Sunday. I know that in a lot of churches... Uh, they change it up for Easter because they have a bigger crowd and guests and visitors. I'm not changing anything up. We're, we're going to continue verse by verse in the Bible. We've been working with the Gospel of Matthew since September. And uh, we're, we're at chapter 18, actually. Uh, but we're jumping ahead like we did last week. Last week we were in chapter 27 as we thought about the triumphal entry of Christ and what that really means and uh, then Thursday night, we were actually looking at uh, the, the death of Christ, the crucifixion, on Friday night for Good Friday. And then here today, we're going to look at chapter 28, which is the resurrection. Verse 1 says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the, de- uh, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, it's important to us to explain the Scripture. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul gave the instructions to Timothy. He charged him and said, preach the Word. So we don't need to have man's uh, ideas and thoughts and opinions. We just need God's opinion. And this is, the Bible is God's opinion to us. It's his self-disclosure. And so what I want to do is just explain the Scripture that we're reading. I want to treat you as if you're hearing it for the first time. I want you to be today, if you will, a student of the Word, to open your mind fresh and new to the Word of God. And what we see here is Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the lesser, who are coming with, they're not coming with expectant faith uh, to see the risen Lord. They're coming to anoint the dead body of their Lord. None of his disciples or followers connected the dots back to his words, which several times Jesus spoke of his resurrection. But the one time when the Pharisees approached him wanting a sign, and Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. If you, even if you have signs, you're not going to believe. But there is one sign I'll give you. And the one sign that Jesus spoke of was that he would, uh, he would be in the grave for three days and then rise again. That if you take out this body, In three days I will rise, okay? And so they didn't connect the dots. They didn't remember he said that. They're coming to a dead body. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, uh, we're not known in this area, obviously, for earthquakes, but some of you maybe have lived in parts of the country or even the world where maybe earthquakes are more common. But what we know about a severe earthquake, just from reading about them, is that it can cause everything to be in motion. And really, when that happens, the only place that you can put your vision on or the the only thing you can set your, your focus on is the sky. If you want something that's fixed and in order, it is the sky. It's the stars at night. It's the sun and the moon by day. We always can count on the things that God created. And, you, you know, that's very interesting because uh, this world is constantly quaking. This world is constantly trembling, constantly shaking. And what we need to do is fix our eyes on a reference point that never changes. And I'm telling you that that is the bright and the morning star, Jesus Christ himself. That's what we look to. On this day when the earthquake took place, the ladies didn't know where to turn. What are we going to do about this? The whole world is shaking. But you and I have the answer for an earthquaking and shifting world, and that is Jesus. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me say that again, because some of us hear it, but it never seems to travel 9, 10, 12 inches south. listen. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. The last part of verse 2, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Why did the angel roll back the stone? Do you really think it was so Jesus could escape the tomb? We're talking about the same Jesus who later will be recorded while he's still on earth, as walking through a wall. Jesus did not need help getting out of the tomb. The angel rolled back the tomb, the stone, so that the women and the disciples, in other Gospels it records, that they too show up, so that they could look in and see that the tomb was empty. See, that's the message of the resurrection, that there was no body to be found. Jesus Christ is alive. And Jesus Christ is alive in those who believe today. In 1885, Major General Charles Gordon, he's a godly man. He discovers what they believe to be the tomb of Jesus, and he did a wise thing. He took a jar of soil gathered from the floor of the tomb to some chemists and asked if there was any trace of decomposition in the soil. The analysis found that there was no trace of decay in the tomb. What did you expect? Speaking of the angel, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So they, the soldiers are there and all of a sudden this angel shows up. His appearance is like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And look what happens. Fear Comes upon them, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Why are they fearing the angel? Is it because they saw the angel of the Lord draw a flaming sword? The Bible does not say that. Is it because the angel spoke these words and it knocked them down? Because it says that they were like dead men. They fell down, not because the angel spoke something, not because he pushed them. They fall back for no other reason than the fact that they are experiencing the awesome power of purity that came straight from heaven to earth. They are seeing an angel of the Lord who had been in the presence of God himself, and now he appears before them. And let me just tell you something, where, where, true, uh, where there is true power, there is purity, this world doesn't understand that. Power comes by standing, taking your ground, taking other people's ground. Power is by rising up. Power is by overcoming. We, we have gurus who teach us how to walk in power. I'm telling you, if you want real power, then you want to walk in meekness and humility before Christ, and you want to live a life of purity and holiness before God. When you do that, I'm telling you, it causes people around you to tremble. Oh, on the outside, they might throw accusations, they might mock you, they might make fun of you, but I'm telling you, there's something in you. It's not you. It's what is in you that they can't help but experience. And it just causes them to be sober on the inside and see God is here, something's happening And that's what we ought to be living every day. When purity and holiness arrive, the threshold shakes, the room fills with smoke, the priest cannot even stand up so he can minister. It was the presence of the angel that caused the Roman soldiers to collapse. When purity is present, no earthly power can withstand it. You don't believe me? Watch when Jesus opens up the sky and reappears. And every human being on the face of the globe that's alive and every body that is dead, when they see the Lord for who he is, you are going to see every knee bow, every tongue confess, everyone with absolute fear over the purity, the holiness of God. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Don't be afraid. This was the same proclamation made to the shepherds when the angel first appeared at the birth of Christ. Don't be afraid. Why? Because every time heaven comes down, fear comes over us. Amen? You know what it's like when you're in prayer, and all of a sudden you just sense the overwhelming presence of God and this literal awe this revering fear comes over you that i am in the presence of the lord isaiah experienced it in chapter 6 of his book where he was in the temple mourning the death of king uzziah and immediately the lord is seen in a vision sitting on a throne his train of his robe filling the entire temple and there the threshold begins to shake Smoke fills the room. I'm not talking about artificial smoke out of a machine that churches put up in the side over here. Real smoke filled the room in the presence of Almighty God. And the only words out of the mouth of this human being were, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips when we come into the presence of the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's sobering. It's holy. There's a revering that occurs. It's special. It's not something that you can manufacture in this world. God doesn't want the church to try to manufacture that because it just cheapens the truth. He wants us to simply come with pure hearts open to God in worship and allow Him to do the rest. And you know what it feels like. As we were singing earlier, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm telling you, nobody needed to prime my pump. I mean, I was ready. When I was singing those words, in my heart, I was in all-out worship before God. It didn't matter how bad my voice sounded. I was overcome. With the truth of God's Word, knowing that from the Bible, He is with us here today. He is in this place with us. More importantly, He's in us. Praise God. Don't be afraid. This was the same proclamation made to the shepherds. You know, I'm not a history buff by any stretch, but I do love history. I really do. I enjoy learning about history. On June 18, 1815, that was one of the decisive days in world history, it's when Napoleon had just left the island of Elba off the Italian coast where he had rebuilt his army while in exile. And as he sailed back to the mainland of Europe with some 75,000 troops with him, including the old guard, which in that day arguably was the most fiercest uh, group of fighters ever. Although the Duke of Wellington, he was the commander-in-chief of the British forces, although he offered to do his best to stop Napoleon, it seemed like a futile assignment. So it was at Waterloo, with only 67,000 allied troops, Waterloo being in that region of Belgium, where you can actually see Belgium from the English Channel and from the North Sea. And there uh, we find Wellington engaging Napoleon in battle. If Napoleon is victorious, there would be no stopping him in his reclaiming of that part of the world, Europe. The people in England waited for hours as the battle raged, eager for news. They positioned a ship in the Channel, that would signal the outcome of the battle to Watchmen stationed in towers along the shores of Dover. Finally, just before the fog rolled in, the ship signaled this message to the towers. Wellington defeated. The hearts of the Watchmen sank as they relayed the word quickly to the waiting messengers, and word quickly spread throughout England that Wellington had been defeated. Needless to say, hopelessness, despair set in as the Brits knew it would only be a matter of time before Napoleon would sail across the Channel and lay claim to their country. However, when the fog lifted, the ship fired a cannon to get the attention of those in the tower, and the third and final word of the message was relayed. The word was, Napoleon. The message wasn't, Wellington defeated, It was Wellington defeated Napoleon. What a difference the third word made, amen? Amen. Suddenly the hearts of the British people rejoiced. Napoleon had been stopped. They would remain a free people. The third word filled the hearts of the people with great joy. Well, I'm telling you, church, this morning that the followers of Jesus experience a far greater joy and a far greater liberty on the third day when the gospel message came through. On the first day, the word was death. On the second day, the word was burial. And on the third day, the fog lifted and the words came forth, He is risen! Amen. Amen. That is our Lord. In Hebrews 2.14... Let me give you a passage that gives insight into the glory of the resurrection. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we subject to lifelong slavery. You and I, before Christ died on the cross, we were subject to lifelong slavery. There was no hope for us. Oh, you could act confident. You could go take some classes and have this positive attitude and all of that. But let me just tell you something. Death strikes every home. It strikes every heart. And as death, death approaches, fear moves in. That is true for every human being. And I'm telling you, Christ went to the cross. He paid the price in flesh and blood that we should have paid. And because he was able to pay it, being innocent, God was satisfied in his his righteous judgment and his righteous wrath. And we have been set free from the bondage of sin through the life of Christ. Therefore, now we no longer fear death. We don't fear death. The Bible says that although man might, uh, might man might deny it on the surface, that deep within he's in bondage to fear. But not the believer. No Christian should ever walk in fear of death. Ever. No Christian, ever. I, I, I'm going to board a plane tomorrow morning very early. I can tell you, I, I was on a plane one time. It was so bad. I mean, the the... the the compartments were falling, and man, I mean, the, the, everything, the, all the oxygen, everything was ready. I mean, I, I thought, we're, we're done. This is it. So immediately, I began to think, what am I going to say? I've got about maybe, maybe 10, 15 seconds. What am I going to say? I had it rehearsed in my mind. I was ready that when I saw that plane start to turn down, I was just going to stand up and start shouting the gospel of Jesus Christ to people on that plane. I wasn't fearing death. I found something coming up in me by the Holy Spirit. To, to I was compelled to try to reach out to the lives of those who don't know Christ, who do fear death. That they can have the same peace that you and I have. I love this. Then the angel said to his followers, he is not here, for he has risen. Look. As he said, that is a gentle rebuke that the angel is giving to the disciples and to the women. Then he gives them a gentle invitation. Come and see, or come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That fear that they departed with was not the same fear that we have over death ourselves. That was a reverent, awe-inspiring fear. They have just experienced God through this angel. This representative of God has come to them. Notice the angel's instructions. First, come and see. And then... Go and tell. In the text, he's saying, go tell the disciples. But you know what Jesus said to you and I? Come and see who I really am. Understand that I am the resurrected Christ. Believe in me. And then after you believe, go and tell the world what you have experienced, what you've seen. I love that. Look at verse 6. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. The foundation for witnessing is that you actually witness something. Until you come and see the Lord. Listen, every one of you. Until you personally come and see the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. As the Savior of the world. As the one who went to the cross to take on your sins. As the one who God turned away from, left Jesus, God on the cross, forsaken so that Christ would would die with sorrow and grief over the sin. Until you come to see that, until you come to see that Jesus, three days later, was raised from the dead by God, you have no message to share with other people. You have to first of all see it and you've got to believe it. You've got to surrender to it. You become a Christian. And upon believing that Jesus is the Son of God, then the next thing that naturally happens is you begin to share with others what you've witnessed. That's all, that, that's all it means to be a witness for Christ. Just what's your story? How did you come to Christ? Tell somebody about it. That Christ is real. The same is true for the resurrection of Christ. Until we come and see that Jesus was raised from the dead, we have no message to go and tell the world. You see, all of Christianity hangs on the truth of the resurrection of Christ. Every bit of it. Without it, we have no gospel. That's what Paul said. The very proof of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, that he took my place, that he was raised by God the Father, His suffering and death had to satisfy God's wrath and judgment against sin and the sinner. If Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient, then God the Father would never have raised Him from the dead. He would have left Him in the grave. But the fact is, the reason the resurrection took place was because what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient in God the Father's eyes. It satisfied His wrath and His judgment against sin and the sinner. So that if we believe in Jesus, we take on his righteousness and the Father sees us as his children. Thank you, Lord, for that. The angel first told the women to come and see where his body was laid and once they witnessed that his body was gone, then he said, now go and tell others. Now you have the whole picture. Now you have the complete message of the gospel. Go and share with people. And behold, Jesus met them, verse 9, and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now understand, Matthew is giving us uh, the details uh, of the resurrection, but really, it's a summary detail. If you go into Luke's gospel, and you go into Mark's gospel, and you go into uh, to uh, John's gospel, it's a different picture. You see other aspects of the same event. Not all four record all the aspects of what took place. But so John has just moved, or I'm sorry Matthew has just moved us from the tomb to the mountain, where the disciples now see the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exciting for them. We, but I want you to see something here. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. I want to say something here about these women who came to the tomb. When they came to the tomb, their doctrine was wrong. They thought they were coming to anoint or to minister to the dead body of the Lord, to tend to the body of the Lord. They didn't know that he had risen. They should have known, but they didn't remember. They didn't connect the dots. So their doctrine is wrong. Yet, even though they thought Jesus was dead... They still came. Why? So that they might minister because they adored him. They loved him. He was their savior. Interesting to me. We can have a wrong doctrine and have a right devotion. In other words, you might not have everything right in doctrinally speaking, but if your heart is right with the Lord, if you have... if you yearn to be with Him, to love Him, to know Him, He receives you. These women came, they found Him, and they fell down at His feet worshiping Him. And He didn't say, "Wait, wait a minute, you got the doctrine all wrong at my resurrection. Who do you think you are trying to come in here and worship me like this? He didn't cast them off. He received them There's something in that. We need to understand that getting doctrine right doesn't guarantee an affectionate relationship with Christ. The Pharisees searched the Scriptures, but they never found Christ. They knew the Word, they knew the Scripture, but they did not know Jesus Christ. They only became more prideful with greater knowledge. You see, having an affection for Christ should come out of what we know about Him. Yes, it's important to study doctrine, but don't lose the affection for Christ. That's why our church is all about a simple and pure devotion to Christ. We study the Word, and then we, we love Jesus with what we know. Amen? Peter said that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 9 expresses the essence of the relationship that we have with Jesus. Look at verse 9. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Wow. My brothers? Wait a minute. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, His disciples fled when he was being tried. Peter was cursing and denying that he even knew Jesus. If you were in Jesus' sandals, would would you have said to the women, go tell my brothers I'm going to meet them in Galilee? I doubt it. If you and I were in that situation having gone to the cross with a bunch of disciples that abandoned us, uh, I think it would look more like, go tell those yellow-bellied sapsuckers that I'm back and I'm coming for them. That's what I would have said. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Amen. And I'm glad you're not God. After Jesus died, Scripture tells us that he descended into hell. Then we learn from the Messianic prophecy in Psalm sixty-eight eighteen that he ascended on high and gave gifts to men. If I went to hell for people who forsook and denied me, I can promise you I ain't going to come back and give anybody any gifts. Father, we got a serious problem. That's what I'd say in heaven. Your word says that you chasten those whom you love. Well, it's chastening time. That is not. I'm so thankful to say this to you today. That is not the character of God. We have such a tendency to want to teach people lessons, straighten them out, rattle their cage, set them straight, but that's not the heart of our Lord. When he ascended, he didn't say, Father, let's punish these scoundrels. He said, Father, let's give them gifts. Let's give Peter a gift, the one that denied me three times. Let's give all the disciples that fled the night that they took me away, let's give them gifts. Only God can do that. Only God can have that kind of a heart towards people. And only God can forgive that way. Not getting anything in return. Not looking for anything in return. Just openly, unconditionally loving us. The scripture in so many places says it uses this phrase that he that he delights in, here it is, he he delights in unchanging love. His love never changes. Do you believe that? You need to. His love never changes towards you. Some of you have done things just as bad as what Peter has done. Doesn't matter. God loves you. While they were going, verse 11, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. <laughs> Here we go. The Roman soldiers who had stood watch over the body of Christ in the tomb have now gone to Jerusalem, and now they're telling the religious leaders, you won't believe what happened. The earth shook, the angel appeared, the tomb was open, and the body was gone. Well, how did these holy men take this? <laughs> Verse 12, And when they had assembled with the elders and had taken, and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. While Jesus was alive, These religious charlatans use deceitfulness, treachery and mob psychology to bring about the death of our Lord. Now after his death they resort to bribery. They're trying to bribe the soldiers to cover up the story, the true story of the resurrection of Jesus. Here's some money. Make sure you tell people that while you slept this man's disciples came and stole his body. What a ridiculous claim. First of all if the soldiers were sleeping, how could they have known who took the body of Jesus? Secondly, a Roman soldier sleeping while he's supposed to be keeping watch? That is immediate execution. No Roman's going to believe the Jewish leaders if they can possibly hold the, che- the captain off from taking their lives. It makes no sense at all. Yet, on college campuses today all over America... Some so called intellectuals still parrot this 2,000 year old lie. His disciples stole the body. What makes this pill hard to swallow is the fact that the disciples never recanted their story about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, I want you to hear what I'm saying because the facts bear witness to the truth. If you understand that these disciples, they died horrendous deaths. James was sawn in half. These are the followers of Jesus. Thomas had, had his brains beaten out with a club. Peter was crucified upside down. John, he survived being lowered into boiling oil somehow. And later he recorded the apocalypsis, the revealing of Christ in heaven in glory The book of Revelation. Many of them saw their families tortured and killed because they continued to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't have enough faith to believe that 11 men suffered brutally, watched the annihilation of their families, and they died violently. They didn't do that for a lie. They were telling the truth. Not a single one of the 11 disciples recanted ever. Ever. Tell your prof to put that in his pipe and smoke it, because that's the reality of the story. Wouldn't at least one of them crack under the pressure and persecution they faced if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ based on what grounds? Because even a person who is logical would never be able to come to any other conclusion based on the facts. If the Romans had stolen his body, why did they never produce the body? You do know that Christianity played a large part in the fall of the Roman Empire. Surely, if the Roman Empire is being conquered by Christians, they would have come out with the facts about the body of Christ. They didn't because there was no fact. Throw emotions out the window, the body is not there. The resurrection is the most analyzed event in history and it continues to baffle the intellectuals in the 21st century. If you want a modern day Three Stooges experience on TV, turn to the History Channel and let them explain to you the resurrection of Jesus, how it's false. It's ridiculous. I also believe it's the most provable event in history. Jesus said it, one sign I'll give you. Destroy this body, and in three days I will rise again. And that's exactly what happened. Truly, the resurrection verifies that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. Now, the 11 disciples, verse 16, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is probably the time when Jesus appeared to the 500 witnesses. In 1 Corinthians fifteen six, it records that. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Even after seeing Christ glorified, resurrected, there were still doubters. There will always be doubters. Here this morning, respectfully speaking, there are some doubters. But you see, you have to deal with the truth. You might not be ready to deal with it today. I hope you are. But if you're not, I'm just telling you, you are going to come to a day when you're going to have to deal with it. When death comes knocking, if you have the opportunity to be on a deathbed, when death comes knocking, you're going to have to deal with whether Jesus truly is the Son of God and you cannot hide behind this idea. Oh, I believe he was a great prophet. He was a good man. He had great things going for him, and I think we should live out of the same life that he lived, you know, carry the same attitude that he had. You can't say that anymore. Because Jesus said that he rose from the dead. So either he is the son of God and he spoke the truth, or he is not he's a he's crazy in the head. You don't have it any other way. On any given Sunday, Christ is here ready to receive those who will believe. Are you ready to believe? Look at verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In this verse, the word go is a a participle. And it literally means as you are going. So let me put it to you in the right context. In other words, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to school, as you're traveling on vacation, wherever you're going, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're commanded to be sharing and teaching wherever we're going, whatever we're doing. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus didn't say, listen, baptizing them in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not three persons. It's not three separate individuals. He's speaking literally the Trinity here, the mystery of the Trinity. That is a doctrinal truth. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the proper exposition of that. I'm with you always to the end of the age. So who is Jesus with till the end of the age? Here it is. In this modern day that we live in the 21st century, this is who Jesus is with until the very end. Here it is. He's saying, as you're going, as you're baptizing, as you're teaching. In other words, as you are living out the Christian life, as you're traveling, as my disciples, know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you claim to be a Christian, but there's no witnessing, there's no sharing the faith, there's no walking in the word, there's no prayer on your knee. Listen, friend, I have a hard time believing that you're really saved. And I have to say to you, I'm not sure Jesus is walking with you till the end of the age. You've got to come to faith in Christ. And when you do, the way that we know that we are saved, first of all, is a a knowledge that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. But secondly, we can see it because there's going to be fruit that follows. Jesus said that. You'll know people by the fruit, by the witness that they are, by the way they study the Word, by the way they share Christ. Are you witnessing? Are you sharing? Have you? Have you been crucified with Christ? See, this isn't a game that we're playing here. Death is real, and death is going to come to each one of us if the Lord tarries. Either we're crucified with Christ and live, or we live for ourselves and die. The beauty of salvation is that we have placed our faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us do it now. If you haven't already, do it now. Just from your heart to God, with the knowledge that you have. You say, I have limited knowledge about Jesus. You don't need a lot of knowledge to believe. You just trust with the faith that God's given you, that Jesus is the Son of God, that this story that we read today is truth, and that He can give you Life eternally. He can remove the fear of death from you today. That you know that if you live, you're going to live for Christ. If you die, it's even better. You go to heaven and and spend eternity with the Lord. But to get there, Paul said it well in Galatians 2.20. No longer do I live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ lives in me. That's a true believer, Christ living in you. I pray that today you'll reach out by faith and just believe, recognizing that you're the sinner and he's the Savior, and you'll come to him, and you'll experience his love, a love that is not going to hold your sins over you. Aren't you glad? Because we've all sinned. He's not looking to hold your sins over He's looking to say, tell my brother, tell my sister that I love them. They're children of God. You're set free from those things because of the cross. Hallelujah. Father, this morning as we close our time with reflective thought, Speak to every heart that's here. For the believer, Father, we know that this story is true. We have received it. We believe it. And now we are to walk in it. It's time for us who have come and experienced the Lord to now go and tell others about him. But the message is also clear for those who have never known him personally. Come and see. Come to believe that Jesus is the reference point that will keep life together on this earth, believing in him as Savior and Lord. And then we too can go and tell others about him. We pray this over every person, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say to you that we have, we have elders who are pastors. Our elders in our church are all pastors. All the pastors of our church are elders. And, and they're going to come up. And then we also have some wonderful women and other men who will are just prayer partners. They want to just pray with you. And uh, so if you have any request of prayer, anything that you'd like to have prayer for, just walk up and stand in front of one of these folks, and they'll be glad to hear your heart and to pray, to, to agree with you in prayer. That's why they're here. So please come and receive ministry. If today you received the Lord, if you have believed in him as your Savior, you see, it doesn't come by raising a hand. It doesn't come by bowing ahead. It doesn't come by walking forward. You receive Christ in your heart. You receive him. And so if you've done that, you are a Christian. And we, we, that's awesome. We want to celebrate with you. In fact, I want you to go to the back and let us know that. Write that down. We have a piece of paper back. Write it down so that we can follow up because we want to continue to walk beside you and pray for you. That's awesome. And uh, let me also just remind you that at our church, uh, as we close, fellowship is such a significant part of our fellowship. So I hope that you'll go back and greet one another those of you who want to sign up for the dinner that we heard from Marshall earlier in the service, please sign up. I think he said 38 uh, open spots. We're limited in seating, so please sign up. It's There's no fundraiser to it. It's just we want you to have a wonderful meal. The, the missions committee is blessing us with this event. And then uh, anything else, Deb, that I need to mention? Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being here today, and it's so good to see your faces and So many of you who have not been able to come back because of COVID for the last year, I see you today. We're thankful to see you. We love you. I hope you'll come back and join us next week as well. And of course, next weekend's the missions weekend. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for being here.